Well, it is always one of my favorite things to be here with the Christ Journey family. And speaking of family, Ryan gave me such, you know, a warm introduction. I have a deacon behind me say, no pressure over there. Thanks, guys, for helping me out. Um, always, always an honor to uh, be invited to teach as one of our teachers in a series. But this one has me really excited because we are talking about fighting for our families. And moms have a big part in that, wouldn't you say? Come on, moms. Seriously, we do. Um, but before I tell you any of my experiences as a mom, I want to tell you a little bit about my mom, a story about my mom. Who remembers prom night, senior prom night? Yeah, some people don't want to raise their hands. I understand. That is okay by me. I remember prom season, and I, I say prom season because my boyfriend at the time and I, we attended two different schools, and so I got to go to two proms, which was cool, until I broke up with him in between his prom and mine. But get this. My mom said that since I had already invited him to be my date, I had to go with him anyway. Like, I am 17 years old. I am practically an adult. But she said that if I didn't go with him, that I didn't get to go. Talk about awkward. Especially since now I thought I was going to be able to say yes to somebody else. <laughs> but how about that lesson in commitment? Relationships are not to be easily disposed of, even at 17. The other thing I remember about prom night is that I seem to be the only one who had to be home by 1 a.m. Seriously, 1 a.m. I mean, this was many years ago, but many of my friends were staying at the hotel, you know, getting a room at the hotel. Mom said, 1 a.m. You will be home by 1 a.m. And she uh, tried to soften the blow by telling me that I could invite anybody who wanted to come over, like to our house. Okay, mom. And that she would have breakfast waiting for us. Okay, well... My uh, ex-boyfriend, friend Date, and I, and um, a couple of other couples, actually two other couples, surprisingly, did come over, and we arrived to the most beautifully decorated breakfast buffet when we got home. And we, it was sweet. And we spent the night talking, eating, laughing, and eventually we crashed on the family room floor. But it didn't take long for me to hear about all that I had missed out on at the hotel. You know, my unmet prom expectations, the party till you drop, the inability to make decisions for yourself as the night went on, the lost presence of mind to say no and mean it, the surrender and sacrifice of identity and sexuality and purity. Today, I have an 8-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 14-year-old. And I can only hope that I have the strength to fight as fiercely for the purity of my boys as my mom did for me on prom night. Now, I didn't get it at 17, but I get it now. I don't know if I would have been strong enough or wise enough or alert enough to make good choices. And I was one of the good kids. But here's what my mom knew. Even the good kids end up in situations where it's very difficult to make good choices. And even the good kids end up in situations where it's very difficult for bad choices not to be made against them. And so my mom set a boundary that said in our family, this is who we are, and this is how I love you into finding out who you are. Because you can't really know who you are until you know whose you are. And by prom night, 
We were just about a year into life without my dad, so my mom was now a single mom trying to pull back that tension on her bow as she released her three little girl arrows into the world, and she knew it was at risk as she tried and hoped that we would grow up into women of self-respect, self-discipline, and self-love. And all those character traits are connected to identity, who and whose we are. You can't really know who you are until you know whose you are. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. This is uh, the message, the Arrow Series identity message. And we're fighting for our families, and some of the biggest battlefields we're going to fight on are on this field of identity. Now, um, there's seems to be a buzz these days to look for where we come from, who am I, um, why do I exist, what's my, what's my uh, background, a buzz about Ancestry.com, right? A lot of us are finding where we're from. Um, I haven't done any personal research on myself, but Pastor Bill told me that he, our senior pastor, he is 41% of something. Any guesses what he's 41% of? Viking! He's 41% Viking! Isn't that cool? <laughs> I just thought it was cool. How many of you have done some research into your, your ancestry? Anybody here? A few of us? Okay. It's fun, it's fun to figure out. Um, I, I know just from hearsay through my family that one of my grandmothers was English, the other Polish, and both my grandfather's families immigrated to the U.S., one from Germany in the 1800s, and my Russian Jewish grandfather came over um, in the 1900s, which is where I get my maiden name, Spivak. But basically, I'm a mutt, and uh, now I'm married to a Cuban. So, hey, we all, <laughs> yeah, we all have an Ancestry.com. And uh, though this begins to scratch the itch to some of those questions of who am I and where do I come from, it doesn't really get to the essence of what we want to know. Who am I? And why do I exist? What am I here for? And how will I know? We all can agree that these questions pulse in us every day, and maybe not on a conscious level, but the answers to these questions, they inform the decisions that we make and how we behave. Think about this. We're thinking about who we think we are, what we're supposed to do with who we think we are, why we're supposed to be because of who we think we are, how we're supposed to behave because of who we think we are, who we really are. And if that little rant confused you for a second, let's, let's think about the way we're feeling when we talk about identity. There is confusion when we bring up the subject of identity. You know, maybe we're even hearing about the difference between who I feel I am and how my body defines me. Psychology versus biology. It's confusion. It's chaos. This is, this is what the identity question brings up. And we could debate about it all day. Our culture, though, is rapidly adding to this noise. Like on Facebook, where you can now customize your own gender. Or the dating site Tinder, who announced in uh, 2016 that users would now have 37 different gender options so that they could most accurately reflect what they believe their gender to be and leave room for gender fluidity. Now, I don't know what your personal take is or position is on these issues, and it is not my intention today to call anybody out. We can't have the right kind of discussion in a format like that, that this. It requires a two-way conversation. But there is a right time and there is a right place to have these conversations. And so we want you to know that Pastor Bill is considering a workshop on these very issues. And so if that would interest you, you can take out a Connect card and write your email 
and the word workshop, or online, you can go to your Connect Card tab and you can do the same thing. And that will inform us of who we need to contact and be in touch with um, when this thing maybe comes out, a workshop or some discussion groups that we're gonna have. Also, you can go to christjourney.org slash arrows, where we've put together some resources, some uh, parenting family resources, some recommended reading, and also some opportunities for discussion groups. What is my intention today? is um, to say out loud that the identity conversation being had with our families, and especially our kids, is confusing and conflicted because the messages themselves are confusing and conflicted. So what I'd like to try to do is to address the confusion by bringing God's clarity. I really believe that every question of identity comes down to recognizing who and whose you are. Because nobody's trying to live inauthentically in their pursuit of this. Everybody's trying to live their most pure, most true life, most pure identity. But that asks other questions then, like, what is pure? What is true? And for truth, as a church who seeks to always find and follow Christ the best way we know how, we go to the scriptures because that's what Jesus did. The same Jesus who said we can love God, the greatest commandment actually is to love God and to love people. There's a way to do both. So here's how we're gonna do this for the next few minutes. We are gonna elevate the truth to answer the question, who am I? That's our part from the scriptures. And then we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to do his part, to instruct us, to inform us, to remind us of who and whose we are. Believer, this might be a very good review for you today. But if you're a seeker and um, you're investigating answers to these questions, then it is an honor to be able to let you know what the God of the universe really thinks about you. So let's begin. We're going to go right to the beginning. First book and chapter of the Bible. This is Genesis 1, the story of creation. If you want to know how something is supposed to work, how it's designed, a good person to ask is its creator. And in this case, we're talking about us. Verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The writer seems to be making a point here. In our image, in our likeness, in his own image, in the image of God. This is even a scripture Jesus references when he's answering a tricky question one day. He says, have you not heard? that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Being a man is a gift. Being a woman is a gift. And both are important to humanity. Otherwise, the creator would have made only one, but he didn't. He made both in his image. So who are you? You're created by God in the image of God. That doesn't make us gods but it does make us capable of reflecting the character of God, like his strength and his beauty, his holiness and his mercy, his fire and his peace made in his image. We look like our heavenly father when we step into the pure identity as image bearers of his, whether you're a man or a woman. Let's look at the book of Jeremiah, chapter one, verse five. God is calling a young Jeremiah out as a prophet. This is somebody who's going to speak to the people on God's behalf. And here's what God tells him. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, 
I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, Jeremiah doesn't want to step into this identity, but God gently insists and assures him that he has what it takes. He's not too young for the job and that God's going to be with him the whole way. Just because your story doesn't show up in the pages of a Bible doesn't mean that the promise isn't the same for you. Who are you? You are known by God. He knew you before he uniquely formed you, and he uniquely formed you for the uniquely designed life he's got planned for you. And he's going to be with you the whole way. So you're created by God, you're known by God, and everyone, you are loved by God. How would I know that? Let's look at Lamentations 3.22. Now, Lamentations is a book of five poems that um, do exactly what the name of the book describes. They lament the destruction that has come upon the Old Testament Jerusalem because the people had lost their identity as a nation due to their rebellion. They rebelled against God. But right in the middle of chapter three, a voice of faith rises up and says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. If you've ever felt like nobody loves you, this verse, this promise says it's not true. And if you've ever felt that you've done stuff that God could never possibly forgive you for, this promise says that's also not true. God's love is steadfast, and he can't not give it because God is love, 1 John 4, 8. And his mercies don't run out. They don't reach a quota. And this isn't the kind of love we're used to giving and getting from one another, but that's what makes it different. That's what makes it special. That's what makes it trustworthy, and that's what gives you your identity. Who are you? Well, you're created by God, you are known by God, and you are loved by God. So much so that this broken story that we follow through the Old Testament with the Hebrew people comes to a place of healing and redemption and fulfillment in the New Testament. Before Jesus, God chose the Hebrew people of the Old Testament and he set them apart. He set them apart as a divinely loved, pure and holy people that belonged to him, but he chose them so that they would be an example to the rest of the world. It was a uniquely Jewish thing to believe that you were created, known, and loved by God, but they forgot that. They forgot that they, who they were, and they began wanting to look like the other people around them. Other nations had kings, so they wanted a king too. Other nations had idols that they built and worshiped. So they wanted to do that too. But no sacrifice would be great enough and no prayer would be big enough to restore that identity. They needed a savior who was big enough to help them reclaim their true identity and fix what was broken. And now we're in the New Testament. God so loved the world that gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son and whoever believes in him will experience eternal life, reconciled with God the Father. That whoever in that verse from John 3, 16, the whoever believes, is a really important distinction. Jesus, born a Jew, he busts the identity door wide open for everyone, whoever believes, whoever believes in him, and he offers God's love and favor and blessing to anyone from any background, from any nation, anywhere, 
Because in Christ, the God of Israel is now the God of all y'all. No matter what your ancestry.com says, <laughs> not only was the broken identity of Israel bought back by the redeeming grace of Jesus, that identity became the identity of the whole world through Jesus for whoever believes. So what does this New Testament identity look like? Let's take a look. Apostle John in 1 John 3 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. In Christ, you are God's child. You and I are like these little arrows in God's big quiver, and he's taking aim at a target called a hope and a future. And sometimes he's pulling back on the tension because he wants to release you well and launch you into the world as his child. Let's see what Peter says, 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. This is an amazing parallel to the Old Testament people. Just like the Hebrews were God's chosen special people, now in Christ, remember, whoever believes, you are God's prized possession. And one more, Ephesians 2.10, and it's one of my favorites. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Who are you? In Christ, you're God's work of art. Now, parents know that um, every piece of artwork that comes home from our children is a masterpiece, right? <laughs> even uh, my kids have come home sometimes not too happy about something. They've even wanted to throw it in the trash. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's beautiful. It's a masterpiece. But that's really what God thinks about you. Even if you think your life belongs in the trash, God's like, wait, excuse me. That's my masterpiece. I created you. I know you. I love you. You're my special prized possession. And you're my work of art. I don't know if that's how you feel about you, but that's how God feels about you. God sees everything you could be, who you are in Christ. And you can't really know who you are until you know whose you are. And maybe you don't like the thought of belonging to God. Maybe you, you don't really understand that a father, a father you could trust or a mother you could trust. Maybe that, that seems foreign to you. You know, when my son Connor was about three or four, he was upset with us for some decision. I mean, he wasn't trusting the decision we had made. And as is very normal for a preschooler to do, he was showing us his frustration and his anger through tears. And his face was all red and tear streaked. And he clenched his fists and looked at us and said, I want to live in a different house with a new family. <sighs> Awful. Ouch. So you know what I did? I grabbed a suitcase and I went to his room and I started packing it. True story. And he says, what are you doing? I said, well, you want to go find a new family, buddy? I'll help you pack. And I just throw stuff in that suitcase and he's getting more hysterical and I'm getting worked up and I zip up the suitcase and I take it back to the front door and I slam it down. He is beside himself by this point. And I said, why are you crying? Don't you want to go find a new family? And he can barely catch his breath by this point. And he says, why, why, why did you pack me any shorts? 
fighting till the end. I don't know if I made the right choice or the wrong choice that day. I don't. But that brief moment, and parents, let's be honest, they are brief moments, wasn't really about finding a new family. It was about the will of a child testing the integrity of the family identity and pushing to see if it would give way if he pushed just hard enough to get what he wanted in that moment. Or would the family identity stand immovable and prove itself trustworthy and faithful and consistent and safe as he continued to grow and figure that family identity out? When we anchor our identity in Christ, That's what this means, recognizing that God's love for us will stand immovable and prove itself trustworthy and faithful and consistent and safe. Even as we grow and try and figure that out. If we were to look at a bow and arrow, identity would be the anchor piece, the point that is touched by the draw hand when the bow is fully extended and ready to shoot. It's the place that steadies the archer as he takes aim at his target. When your identity is in Christ, you are anchored. And when our children's identity is in Christ, they are anchored. And we get confused about this, even as adults we do. We find identity, for example, in our jobs, right? And then we lose our jobs. Or perhaps we found our identity in our marriages, and then we lose grip on our marriages. And maybe that's because now we've had kids, so now we're finding identity in our kids. And then we're finding ourselves making decisions based on their happiness instead of their future. That's a misaligned identity. It's not anchored, and our aim is off. So the first thing we need to do, whether you're a parent or not, the first thing you can do is anchor your identity in Christ. Set your personal target and take your aim with these filters in mind. Believe who you are. You're created by God, known by God, loved by God. And then live out of whose you are. You're God's child, God's prized possession, God's work of art. Ask yourself, is this decision I'm about to make, this word I'm about to say, this interaction I'm about to have, will it identify me as one who knows exactly whose and who I am? And parents, do we parent from this anchored identity? Because the next thing we want to do is anchor our children's identity in Christ. And developing a pure identity is most crucial when we're in our developing years. The sooner our kids discover that their value is in Christ because of his immovable love, the less time anything else has a chance to take root and the less work they'll have to do as adults to pull up that other junk that has gone down in its place. And the identity issues our kids face today are mind-blowing. They're fielding messages about themselves all the time, whether it's through academics or sports or artistic talents or how about online gaming interactions and social media or the so-called family programming we watch together. These are the influences 
that are informing their self-perception of their intelligence, their emotional capacity, their value, their giftedness, their sexuality. No wonder they're so confused about who's and who they are. They hardly stand a chance unless they know exactly who's and who they are. We've got to anchor our children's identity in Christ. And here are just a couple ideas to help you do that. Start intentional conversations with your kids. I can't overemphasize how important it is that we initiate age-appropriate conversations. And not just parents, but grandparents or aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, hashtag friends who are family. Maybe you guys have a part in this too. Normalize your home as a place where there's freedom to ask questions about anything. And then don't look shocked when they ask, because they'll ask. But wouldn't you rather have them coming to you rather than getting information from someone who certainly doesn't have their best interest in mind? Then take the time to connect those conversations to God's truth and their identity in Christ. It may take years for them to own it as their own, but do not give up and be ready for the pushback. But the goal is not friendship. It's parenting. Start intentional conversations and then guide with the end in mind. That's what my mom did on prom night. She knew what was at risk regarding sexuality and that night she was gonna fight for mine. Not only did she want me and my sisters to know that our home was a sacred space, but our bodies are too. Like Paul writes to the Corinthian church, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, sexuality and identity, they're not mutually exclusive, but this principle applies to any misuse of the body. Substance abuse, food abuse, addiction, self-harm. In Christ, your physical body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So parents, let's do the hard thing with the end in mind and set intentional, clear boundaries for our kids. Be firm about what's right and wrong, appropriate, inappropriate. And this is as much about our own behavior as it is about helping our kids, isn't it? And it's exhausting. It is so much easier to let things slide. I know because I do it, but they are worth so much more than that. And the risk sometimes really is too great, which means we need to make their business our business. If our instruction from God is to train up a child in the way he should go, then let's study the way our kids are naturally going. This is both for protecting them and celebrating them. Like what music do they listen to? What games do they play? What websites do they visit? If you're paying for their phone, I think that gives you permission to do random phone checks on there. At the same time, figure out what they're good at. And what do they struggle with? Who do they hang out with? Study your children well and build into their individuality, affirm their uniqueness, and empower them by knowing them. And then I need to say this. No matter what we do, when we get it right, when we get it wrong, we're not going to do this parenting thing perfectly. We're just not. And maybe you've already discovered that. 
Maybe in hindsight, you'd like to go back and get a redo on some things. Well, what do we do then? We pray like crazy. We pray like crazy. Pastor Ryan, he has said recently that the arrows go where the archer cannot. So think about that. Do you have some things in your past that to this day your parents don't know a thing about? Now think about your little arrows. We're not going to be there for every decision, every temptation, every situation. And don't think for one second that the enemy is not on a mission to take our kids down. There is nothing he likes more than to confuse a young person about whose and who they are. And I, for one, want to be one that makes his job very difficult. Are you with me? Let's do it. Let's do it. Schedule time to pray for your kids because prayer is your weapon. Pray like crazy, but schedule time to do it. And then ask God for wisdom to know what to do and when to do it. That's kind of a theme of life, isn't it? What do I do? And when do I do it? Maybe you can review some of the filters we've talked about today because knowing who's and who you are is part of the answer. And maybe you're here today feeling like your identity has been stolen from you. And I really want you to listen closely. You are created by God. You are known by God. And you are loved by God. And when you let him love you through Jesus, well, then you become his child, a child of God his prized possession, his work of art. Everybody gets confused. Everybody gets confused, but you are his work of art. And nothing in all creation can separate you from God's love for you in Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from God's love through Christ Jesus. And maybe you didn't know that, but now you do. So how about we step into our identity? How about you take the step and believe who you are because of whose you are? It's your identity. Everyone gets confused about that. Everybody has a tug to do things their own way and pursue who they really are apart from God, just like Adam and Eve did just like the Hebrew people did, just like our kids will do. Everyone tests the integrity of the family identity of God's love. And that's what exposes the battle of identities. Author Bob Goff says that God knows we're easily confused and often wayward, but he pursues us with love anyway. I think he wants us to see things the way he does. And it's not going to happen from the top floor of our castles. It will happen at the ground level of grace. When the prodigal son came back home to the father, that father hit the ground, running with feet of grace. Even though the son was still a long way off, he ran to get him. What the prodigal son realized is that in his pursuit to find himself away from the father, He actually lost himself, and he was never more true to who he was than when he came home. 
And so are you home? Are you home with the Father? Let's pray. God, right now, I want to pray for all of us as prodigals who all turn to do our own thing or find our own way or discover who we are through thing after thing after thing after thing, when all the while you are right there demonstrating your love for us, giving us our identity. We are made in your image. And God, in Christ, we can be restored to our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you did what we could not do for ourselves, that you did die on the cross, and you did allow yourself to be buried, and you did have God the Father resurrect you in power so that we can be restored to our purest, truest identities. And I just want to offer a prayer for anybody who may be stepping into that identity for the first time today. You can say a prayer like this, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I understand now. I am made in the image of God to experience him and to be his child. But I need Jesus to do that. I can't do it on my own. Forgive my sins. Restore my identity. And help me to live out of that identity for the rest of my days here. And while our heads are still bowed, I'm going to ask if anybody would like me to offer a prayer of blessing for you. You can just slip your hand up put it right back down. I'll look for you. Amen. I see you. At Kendall, we have pastors waiting to see your hands go up. And online, you can click the orange banner. Someone will pray for you. Come home. You are loved. You are known. You could be his child. And God, now I want to pray for all the literal physical homes represented. I'm asking for you to do miracles. I'm asking for you to bring healing. I'm asking for you to start conversations that are, are impossible. I'm asking you that people would go home and ask for forgiveness, that parent would say sorry to child and child would say sorry to parent, that there would be humility and restoration for every single family represented, not just one or two, God, everyone. That is your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray like crazy for it because you can do it. Do it, Father. Move in these homes. Anchor their identities in you. And God, for our church, for Christ's journey, that this would be a home for all people. All of us prodigals, some days more than others, that when these doors are open, every person who comes through them would find themselves home, part of this family, because you are our Father. Help us, Jesus, not to judge but to receive with open arms like the Father does every time. Do this in our church, Lord God. Bless us and move us forward in your name. Amen. Amen.